This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Hamilton. Mr. CEO, how's it going? Yeah, good. Is it? It's pouring rain in uh, southern BC here. What's it doing in Prince George? It ain't raining. It's sunny. Sunny, nice. a little bit of wispy cloud, but it's nice. It's uh, three degrees according to my computer, so that's balmy fall day for for the north. Cool. Well, this is a pretty interesting episode. We bring Mr. Apollo back, Joe. Um, he's such an interesting guy to talk to and uh, I'll tell you, I love hearing about his hunts. But, uh, you know, we had a really important discussion today around managing wolves in British Columbia, always a controversial subject. Yeah, no, no matter no matter what we talk about when it comes to predators and predator management, it's it, it gets spicy. People get heated no matter what side of the fence you're on, the side of the argument you're on. It's just so emotive and that's... That's why we're we're having this episode once again because we're we're facing the emotional management opportunities again. So we took this opportunity. There's been a few things happen. First of all, Pack Wild's got a big or sorry, Raincoast has got a big uh, campaign going on right now. They uh, October fourth, they sent letters to the government, uh, petitioned with half a million signatures around the wolf call. They're in court right now as we speak um, on. 27th to 29th arguing to shut down the uh, aerial wolf call this winter um and uh yeah and then there's a recent letter that came out from the uh union of bc uh, chiefs that uh speaks out against the uh, the call as well so um and the most important thing is this engagement piece going on right now from the government uh, we provided a link in the show notes if you don't even listen to the podcast, just go and do that survey right now. Uh, it's really important that um, we weigh in with our thoughts, and they're they're basically reviewing, you know, what's the public sentiment with regards to the wolf call? Do we support or are we against it? Uh, they want to get a general feel for it. They use that survey for grizzly bears, and they're going to use it again. Uh, they could use that again. They don't really tell us how they use the data, but we expect that they'll use that in their decision making process around the aerial call this winter. Yeah, it's it's no surprise that that's what's going to happen, right? We we saw it with the grizzly hunt, and we we saw it uh, when the paper social license to hunt rolled out last year at about this time, and we we started it back now, and we get into that in the podcast and why it's important to engage and what we risk to lose if we we don't get better engagement than we traditionally see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're going to keep this a very short intro. We got a great podcast here with Joe Appel, um, great support of the society, uh, fantastic guy, very uh, 
interesting dude to listen to and uh, always love hearing Joe's perspective. But uh, we dive into this wolf issue, what's happening, and just the importance of you guys getting out there and filling out the online survey, which is, again, in the show notes. Yep. So let's let's just get it going. We, we got do our surveys part- to fill out. Episode 49, Joe Appel. If you looked up the words conservation superhero in the dictionary, you would see a picture of our friend Omer from Precision Optics, a tireless donor and supporter of all things wild sheep. Precision Optics, located in Quinell, British Columbia, truly stands alone in the high alpine. From optics to rifles to outdoor gear and a knowledge that cannot be surpassed, toss in that killer smile and you have a total conservation package. Precision Optics, we are truly thankful for the support you show us every step of the way. Find them online at precisionoptics.net or in Aroma Foods, located just off Highway 97 in Quinell, BC. Joe, Steve, gentlemen, how's it going? Very well. Thanks for having me back. Steve. I'm just so sick of this circle conversation we're gonna have again, but hey, there's nobody better to have it with than Joe, right? For sure. And fresh from the backcountry, Joe, I know you've been uh, beating up the bushes there. Um, you kill anything this year? What's going on in the world of uh, hunting and TV and all that fun stuff? Hunting and TV? Um, well, in the world of the backcountry, my first few trips were a little slow. Um, I came back pretty late, which was not what I was hoping for, but I made up for some lost time in a hurry on one of my most recent trips. Uh, I was up north on a flying trip and... Uh, Day four and day seven, I got a an, an elk, a beauty moose and a beauty elk, uh, respectively. So that was a great trip. And then uh, came back home. And to my wife's surprise, I think I was home for six days before I was back out in the bush. Uh, God bless her heart. And um, chasing Callie's along the Fraser and saw a lot of really beautiful 7 eighths rams and stared at a lot of sheep for a lot of hours. And last night, last light, heading back to the boat uh, to run the river back to our camp. And I came across this beautiful muley up there. So we decided to offer him a free ride in the jet boat home with us. And he accepted. Sweet. <laughs> nice. Uh, so nice mule deer up there or what? Yeah, I have to say um, along the river, I was really interested to see what was going to happen in some of the sections that burnt this summer. Yeah. Uh, and, and I saw it was very promising to see a lot of. Uh, the green up was really nice. It's it's still very fresh. It almost looks like a few months into spring up there right now in some of those sections. And the number of, of does that were in there with fawns and uh, used with a lot of lambs running around, I, I think it was actually very, very uh, promising for what's to come in the coming years. How about sheep? What's, uh, what's our recruitment numbers looking like there? Did you see many? Uh, did you see? Well, you said lots of seven eights. Did you see any lambs in use or anything like that? Quite a few, yeah. Um, I saw, I don't think there was any groups I saw that didn't have, you know, the majority of the use with lambs. Um, Is that right? So that, that was really promising to see again. I mean, for for an, what, what I could call an unsuccessful sheep hunt, I think it was very successful and very inspiring just seeing, um, you know, the, the numbers, the way they were. Uh, a lot of, like, some pretty sig- significant bands of sheep. Um and just the fact that some of those areas that are so greened up, there should be some really, you know, good feed going into the winter. So fingers crossed, if we can keep the predators out of there, um, it should be a really good year for us. 
Well, it's funny. There's three tie-ins with what you just talked about there with what we believe in the society. First of all, uh, lamb recruitment. We can talk about that. And I'm just going to segue for half a second because I really want to hear about you. But, you know, for our listeners, we talk about what we're doing on the Fraser River. This is a huge project for the society. Now, I don't know if that was in our treatment area, but in our treatment area, we've uh, treated a number of herds on the Fraser. And um, in the first year of our project, it's a nine-year project. We started out with three years and we're going, we're, we're doing nine years now. $1.6, $1.7 million all in is what this project's going to cost. A whole bunch of funding partners on that one. Uh, Wild Sheep Society BC is taking a massive uh, role in that. But year one of the project, there was, uh, after a few months, there was zero lamb recruitment on the, on the uh, herd that they were um, basically studying at the time. Zero lamb recruitment. Um, and then there was the, we did the treatment process, which basically test and remove. We go out in the field, test the animals. If they had, they were movie positive, we'd remove them, um, obviously called. And, um, the idea is removing movie from that herd. Um, mm-hmm. in year three, uh, year two and three surveys were done. And the, uh, latest survey was the one ha- herd had 20 use for 41 uh, sorry, 20 lambs for 41 ewes. So going from zero in 40-ish to um, 21, 20 in 41 is just phenomenal. So um, this this project's working and it's really, really exciting. When you talk to the regional bios, uh, Chris Proctor is the lead. He's a senior wildlife biologist on that. He's through the roof. He said, you just don't see that ever. Um, this is one of the few success stories in conservation that they see. They're doing these projects all the time and it's usually doom and gloom and and this is one he's absolutely inspired about so um you know hats off to our membership and and you're a big part of that too joe and what we do and and the conservation efforts um it's a real huge success story and one i just i love to i'm telling everybody this so i apologize but i i love telling this story it's really really exciting so it's a story that needs to be told as often as possible and it's uh it's funny to hear that you know when people get engaged in an effective an appropriate way that it actually has a positive outcome if we could convey that to the government uh, <laughs> that's yeah. very poignant to what we're talking about today yeah exactly and the predator stuff so okay back to the uh, sheep so you guys were on the sheep hunt and were you up there for the week or what was the, what was the plan on that how did that look and did you did you have a tag or was what was the deal did you get an leh draw on that or what's the story uh no leh draw honestly i just wanted to uh i love hunt along the Fraser. It's a beautiful part of the country in, in BC uh, and just get out and get eyes on some sheep um, and, you know, just get a good look at the area. So it's me and, and two buddies. We go up there. We've done it a few years now. And it was a full week. The last week of season is when we made it up this year. Um, and uh, yeah, no LEH is just over the counter tags. And we understand, obviously, it's a very low success rate when it comes to that because most of the Rams that kind of uh, you know, the rams that we really wanted to take a good look at, the really nice, big, heavy, mature rams, they're broomed off so far back that they're likely never going to make it. Some of the most promising rams that we saw were, you know, mid-age rams that I think even if they had completed, uh, you know, full curl, they probably would have got the pass. So we're just like, it. it's uh, it's just a great hunt to be out on and to, to get a look at the area. And, um, you know, as, as I went back, I also had a mule deer tag in my pocket and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a nice added advantage is when you're up there and you get to enjoy the sheep hunt, but have that kind of consolation prize of coming home with a beautiful mule deer in the back of the truck. That's, that's never a bad trip and a lot of laughs with good buds too. 
Yeah, that's sweet, man. Very cool. So what's on the plan for the rest of the year? What are you doing for hunts? You got some other stuff on the go or what? Yeah, I'm always getting out in the bush as long as the wife will let me every chance she gives me. Um, I've had a very successful start to my season, as I mentioned. I mean, obviously some pretty large animals. Um, Obviously sharing that meat with some of the guys, but my freezer is looking pretty. So I think I'm going to go out and get some gray hairs uh, chasing blacktail with my bow for a bit. (laughs) And... (laughs) Have some fun doing that. Um, I'd like to get my wife out on a few different trips as well, just to get some time out in the bush. And then um, some predator hunting this winter. I'm definitely wanting to get out and get another cougar. And uh, and some wolf hunting through the winter. And then late season uh, goat is on the menu as well. <clears throat> right on, man. That's pretty exciting. Um, very, very exciting, actually. Um, I have a mule deer draw uh, in... Ooh. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that in Southern Alberta. So I'm heading out there next week to chase mule deer. So, oh man, that's a good pretty one. Excited. Yeah, for sure. So looking forward to that. What about you, Steve? You got anything left on the horizon for you this fall? Predators, predators, yeah. predators, predators. Gonna go out for cats. Get, uh, see if I can get a lynx. Still got to get you up here, Joe, for one, uh, stick and string. But I, well, yeah. yeah, you got something coming up in December, probably that'll throw a wrench into that. But, uh, yeah. So yeah, just links for me. That's about it. Well, cool. I can, so I, I'll bring my kid out with us if he's supposed to be arriving mid to late December. So I'll bring my kid out, and I'm sure him crying in the bush. That helps. Uh, might pull something in. I'll just have to make sure Call I have a good eye on He's really close to me. <laughs> <laughs> we have had everybody that. before anybody lashes we, out. We, we have had that happen before where the call gets attacked by hawks or owls or whatever, or the, the cats come in and they, they hammer it hard. So, yeah, you got to make sure the kid is close <laughs> yeah well we've seen that before for sure so there's a common theme here we keep talking predators so you know that's kind of one of the things we thought we'd like to talk about today a few reasons joe you were involved with act now um and our campaign there with the wild sheep society bc we uh collaborated with the bc wildlife federation brought a bunch of letters to the ledge steve do you want to just give us an an overview of what that was the success of that campaign if you were happy with it i know you kind of led the charge in terms of doing the heavy lifting for the society. Uh, Joe was our spokesperson, mm-hmm. de facto spokesperson. Um, w- what are your thoughts on that campaign? Were you happy with the outcome? Maybe give people an overview of what Act Now was, really. Basically, it was a call to action. Uh, we, we know we're under attack by uh, those that not, not necessarily agree with hunting, but don't understand it. And it's all an emotionally pushed argument is... You, you well know. And there was a paper that was put out last year called the social license to hunt. And we knew what that meant in this document. It talked about wolves and cougars uh, and uh, other predators, like black bears not being socially acceptable to hunt. But what really got our attention was they named species like moose and elk and bighorn sheep. So as uh, we like to say, it's that, that slippery slope. So we rallied hunters and those that want to see sound wildlife management in British Columbia to get off their butts and engage. And Joe put out a, a brilliant video for us that rallied the troops, so to speak. And at the end of the, the campaign, we we had over 50,000 letters that were sent to various forms of government from MLAs to the premier. And we that, that's pretty bloody good. Could we do better? Yeah. But it's it's a great start considering we we had less than a thousand people show up to engage government to save the grizzly hunt when we can say we had over fifty thousand letters. 
that that's great. That's we've, we've got 110,000 resident hunters. Was everybody that signed it a hunter? No. And that's perfect because that's not what it's about. It's about wanting to see wildlife managed properly. And here we are again. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So overall, yeah. Uh, you know, we could have done better. Uh, and so now that, that kind of leads us to where we're at now and what's happening. And there's a bunch of things happening in the media. Um, there's a, a, a engagement session going on through uh, the government as well around uh, predator management and that sort of stuff. Steve, do you want to, you want to touch a little bit on that, on, on the engagement survey and, and what's involved there? Basically, it's very similar to the Act Now campaign. However, this is an official one that's put out by government. It's called, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's circling around the caribou. But we know that, as we've said already, it's the thin edge of the wedge. Uh, the, the government has put it out there. I believe the survey runs till November 15th. We'll hyperlink it in the, the show notes where it's asking people's opinion. And right there, there's a major problem with how that's being done. Opinion should never manage wildlife. It should be science, but it's maybe at best two, three minutes of your time. It talks about the success of the, uh, the wolf management and, but then it gets into your personal thoughts about it. And we know, uh, we're, we're getting hammered on it. We're getting shit kicked the same way we did with the grizzly hunt. So it's time to, it's time to step up. And it's, that's what I alluded to right at the beginning as we started recording this sick of the same conversations that we shouldn't have to be defending sound wildlife management in British Columbia. But unfortunately here we are again. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It seems a little cyclical and it's funny. Um, you know, last year when we did have the earlier this year, whenever it was, when we did the act now campaign, um, there were so many people that kind of called us a little crazy saying it wasn't going to grow into anything and we're fear mongers and things like that. Yep. Um, Yet here we are, and things are obviously progressing despite our efforts. And like you mentioned, we went from a thousand that stood up for the grizzly bear to now fifty thousand standing up for what's going on now. So we are gaining a lot of traction. There's a lot of room for improvement, um, but it just kind of goes to show you that this is going to be a constant, ongoing battle, and it is worth putting our time into because, um, like you said, that survey when you when you go in and you start reading the survey. It actually presents some great information, and I would say the questions at the very start of it were promising. It wasn't; it didn't seem like they were pinning everybody um, against hunters, or that people weren't being signaled singled out. It said, "Make sure you're not giving any information that's going to really associate you with a group. We want this to be kind of unbiased." And then it's like one of the last questions: "It's like, are you a hunter? Yeah. Yes or no?" And you're like, "Oh, great! So my mind's going in the garbage." <laughs> but. It's, it's not going to go in the garbage. I just think there's enough room in the survey and the way it's structured. There could be a lot of good that can come out of it. But at the same time, there's enough blue area gray zone questions where it could be, I think a lot of it's going to be left up to the uh, the person that's kind of interpreting the information and the analytics, which is spooky bit. Well, and I guess for our listeners and the one thing that we got to keep in mind is they use that survey to shut down the grizzly bear hunt and they you know steve just mentioned that they quoted that yeah four thousand entries and the majority were against uh, the grizzly bear hunt so you know we knew we know they use this they're data driven uh they're survey driven um and um so I, I think it's it behooves us to take this seriously and that we as hunters have to um write in and, and express our concerns about it we know that the anti-hunting 
side of things is writing in and they're expressing their concerns. So I think as hunters, we got to get on hunter conservationists. You know, we see the value here um, for wildlife management and, and uh, managing predators. Um, we need to jump on this and, and make sure we our voices are heard. Oh, Steve, you're muted there. Probably a good thing because I dropped an F-bomb. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at the official government website right now, and they put up some new graphics. And it talks about understanding caribou declines. There's a picture of a wolf, and they're talking about habitat protection, which is great. Habitat restoration, incredible. Changes to industry practices, we can all get behind that. But you keep going down through, and you scroll, you scroll, you scroll, and there's a picture of a cougar. So if they're only coming after wolves, why is there a cougar involved in this now? Like they're throwing more and more things into this as these opinions come in. So I, I do like how it says uh, predator reduction is an example of a short-term action while we roll out the long-term action. But realistically, who's going to get behind planting a tree versus killing a wolf? Right, we know that it's a band aid solution, and we know more needs to be done. But it takes sixty to eighty years to grow the proper habitat to save these caribou. It takes what the call's been going on a couple of years now, and we've already seen the science is backed that the caribou numbers where this is happening are increasing exponentially. So you, you can see what's happening here if if you take a look at the site. Like I said, we'll put uh, put that in the show notes. But yeah, now they're talking about cougars. Well, and, so. and and going back to your point, I think we really need to elevate the fact that the the survey, I don't think it draws enough attention to the fact that this is just a short-term solution. Currently, this is how they're looking at it. Um, some of the groups that are coming at us or coming against the, the predator controller, they're acting like this was, needs to be this big ongoing thing. And don't get me wrong, I think I'm of the minds that the predator management should be an ongoing thing. As long as we're involved in the outdoors, that's something that I don't think will ever completely go away. But maybe to the extent it's happening right now, it won't be necessary after a period of time, but it needs to happen to bridge the gap. And if you look at these, like, let's just break it down and make it very simple right now. If you look at caribou and you look at wolves, caribou are the ones that are backed into a corner right now. Wolves are thriving and they're in no fear. And I think even in some of the documents I've read lately, they talk about how the, the wolves are endangered or being threatened. Um, and I haven't seen mm -hmm. any statistics or analytics showing that the wolves are at, in threat of being completely eradicated from any area. And then let's look at the success rate of once once one of these species, let's just say one of these species has been completely eradicated from a zone. And we then try and reintroduce woodland caribou to a location. What are our success rates there mm -hmm. versus if we back a trailer up and launch, like let out a few wolves in that area? Which one of those is going to be able to be reintroduced to a location if it does get backed into that corner that far. And realistically, I think everybody on this call and most people listening are going to know what I'm getting at here. The fact is, like, caribou are the side that need our help right now. Mm -hmm. The wolves, they're going to continue. Look how long they've been around. They're, um, even, I think, in that uh, that one letter that was sent in um, from the, I can't remember the, the chief board, but they say, like, wolves are, Let's remember, wolves are a very smart, adaptive, intelligent species. Mm -hmm. Like They're going to do well. They're going to come back, even if we do bring their numbers down effectively, to bridge the gap for the next you know, right. 
10, 20, 30, 40 years until we have this, this environment or this, this ecosystem built back up for the caribou to thrive, you know, the wolves are still going to come back in and, and be successful. But if we let these caribou get to too low of a number, there, there's groups that are still out there and biologists are telling us to give up on them because they're just not mm-hmm. that effective on their own. So it's pretty like, clear that one side needs our help and the other side is not actually in threat like people are trying to tell yeah. us. Look, looking at some of the numbers here, the three herds in the South Peace have increased by a combined 81% since their wolf production started. Calf survival has increased by about 25% compared to pre-reduction numbers. And adult female survival has increased by about 13%. That, that speaks for it right there. It speaks That's for where it right I, there. That is effective. I get a little frustrated because um, the, you know, the rain coast specifically states that the wolf call is not based on science, right? They, they said there's no science to support it. But then you, you share that number, 81% increase that, you know, these, the caribou are now, um, are they're, what's what are their what's their designation federally now steve is it they're um how do they rate rate them federally the care do you remember it 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 depends where but uh, well yeah the the woodland caribou in northern bc what's the uh, what's the designate i can't remember what they're designated like endangered or something like that i want i want to say blue listed okay so uh, you know the the federal government stepped in now um and you know, they're, they're managing these herds and they're, they're counting them and they're doing surveys. So we do have the science to support it. So, you know, the statement that uh, the wolf call is not based on science. I think that, you know, you can poke a hole in it immediately with regards to that. But Joe, back to your statement, 8,000 wolves in BC is what, if you look at the international wolf center, they're quoting 8,000 wolves in BC and that number is increasing. So the numbers are strong. Um, and the other side of it is we know that wolves, they have a high reproduction rate. they, uh, they come back, they're, they're very resilient. The other side, the raincoats, their argument is let caribou run its course. It's not, it's the, it's nature. It's the way it works. Um, you know, but again, our argument is that, well, as a mankind, we, the one thing we do agree with raincoats and sort of the anti-wolf call, um, groups is that, um, habitat is the issue. No question. Absolutely. Um, but it's a 50 year or hundred year solution. And if we do nothing for 50 years or we wait 50 years for something to happen, um, well, you know, wolves will na- knock caribou off the landscape for sure. Without question. Here's, here's another, uh, statistic just based off the numbers you presented saying that there's esti- an estimate of 8,000 wolves in BC. When we look at the typical populations, we understand that obviously under a 4% harvest rate is a very sustainable rate for, any species on the landscape. And since 2015, they've only harvested, what is it, uh, 1,429 wolves, they predict, from from this cull. So if you average that out annually, since then, we're at 237 wolves per year, which is less than 3% of the population. So we're not we're not putting the, the provincial population of wolves at risk. We're well within a very sustainable level of, of harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just focusing it on certain regions where it's necessary. Um, so even, you know, based on the statistics that everybody uses, you know, we're talking less than 3% of the provincial wolves, like the, the count is being harvested, but we're focusing in specific areas to make sure that the caribou can succeed in those areas. So it's not like it's a mass eradication of British Columbia of the wolves. Like we're using the numbers that some of these other groups are using against us. Cause that's, 1,429 wolves since 2015 that they say have been removed, which is, again, 
less than 3%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, it's really a pittance. And the thing is, they're selectively removing them from the areas where there's uh, a risk of uh, extirpation. And we we know that caribou in the southern southern BC no longer exist. They no longer. I don't think there's any caribou in the lower forty eight. They're all gone now, right? Am I correct in that? That that's the case. I believe you're correct. Yeah. And but southern BC, I think there was a handful, five or six. Uh, that were left. Uh, they tried penning. They tried maternal penning, yeah. and uh, they basically just walked away from it now. So yeah. you know we've extirpated them in the lower four, or sorry, lower southern BC, and and it's just going to happen in northern BC. But Raincoast is saying that we're happy just let wolves do their thing, and we'll let them go. It's just natural selection. It's the way the world works. But the problem is, again, our counter argument is that we've created this environment to make the, the wolves thrive and put the caribou at risk. They're, they're not living in the environment they lived a hundred years ago. So as humans, we put them in that and they haven't had time to evolve and adapt. And as such, they're being wiped off the landscape. So. No, I agree totally. And, and um, like some, some hard truths that a lot of people aren't going to like to hear is it's not like just logging. It's not just new roads and areas. We're talking cross country skiers, Backcountry mm-hmm. snowmobilers, all of these people are creating areas where they're packing the snow down into the areas where these caribou used to winter and now creating these perfect highways for wolves to go into locations where they couldn't go before. Um, so like, I'm, I'm not saying that, that predator control is the only way for us to do this. There is a lot of things and a lot of stuff that needs to fall into place here. Uh, but I, I, I certainly don't think, you know, okay, there's six things that need to be done, but, you know, Five or four of them are going to take a really long time, so let's just not get started. That's kind of um, some of the the mindset that comes across when I have conversations with certain individuals about this, which is, like you said, very frustrating to see at the least. Yeah, for, I've said it many, many times on various podcasts and conversations. For some reason, wolves and bears and predators are that they're put on a pedestal, like. And they're, they're seen as magical, mystical beings, while all the other ones, the uh, ungulates, are kind of down here. Is, is, is it to do with Disney? Is it to do with the books? Like, you, you go back and you read Farley Moets, right? Never Cry Wolf. And it elevates wolves to, to some sort of celebrity. You, you saw it with the... Uh, a legal hunter taking a, a named wolf, which you don't see with uh, any other non-predatory animal, right? You, you look at Cecil the lion, uh, Takaya the wolf, and you name it, right? There, it, it's it, it it sounds like a, a dick thing to say, but it's a it's a fundraising opportunity, right? The the carnivorous animals they 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 relate them to your your house cat, your dog. Right. And what's the first thing they say? What happens if you die? Your cat will eat you. Right. Your cat doesn't give a shit about you. Right. So it, it, oh, you look man. at you, you look at the movie. Mm-hmm. What is it? Um, Frozen. They've, they've got a caribou in that. And I, I've seen that movie so many times with my daughter. But what do they make that caribou out to be? Just this absolute donut that doesn't know its way out of a out of a wet paper bag type deal. And then you, you look at Lion King. And it's the magical, mystical beings. It's it just doesn't make sense. It's a fundraising opportunity for some reason. There's definitely very effective marketing going on, um, and 
yeah, if you go online and you look up images of wolves, everything is done in a way and presented in a way that they look very tame, very calm, very, you know, okay, I can go up and pet that wolf just like I would my dog. I can take it home. And and then now when I, my dog's literally on the dog bed behind me right now. And I look at her and I guarantee if I spend five minutes, I can find a picture of a wolf in the exact same, you know, sleeping pose that she's in. And there's, there's that connection. They pull on those heartstrings. But these groups that are posting these beautiful images of the wolves, you will never see them posting the image of a group of wolves that have a cow elk backed out in the middle of the river and they're pushing her down the rapids and just, okay, we're going to kill her by pushing her into the rapids. And mm-hmm. if we get her, we get her. If not, that was great practice, guys. Let's go get the next one. Like that, that side of it isn't depec- depicted evenly no. and equally. And I think that is, that is a big part of where all of this comes from as well. If they effectively showed all of that, then, then I don't think we'd be having the same issues right now. Yeah, they they do a good job of marketing uh, Raincoast in particular. They they've got the domain savebcwolves.org and it's uh you know, it's uh, another fantastic marketing job and and talking about what they're doing and the thing is is you know, I think as the hunting conservation community, we got to start taking them a bit more seriously, right? Like and this issue more seriously. I think a lot of people are dismissive of it. Um and we've talked about the slippery slope and a whole bunch of other things, but just look at what uh, they've managed to do on October 4th. They went to the legislature like we did. We had our uh, act now campaign. We showed up with, uh, you know, what X amount of letters, tens of thousands. They showed up with half a million signatures on a petition. So uh, how can we not take that seriously for starters? And, and how can the hunter conservationists be dismissive? Their new goal is a million signatures and they're going to get it at some point. Uh, you know, is it going to be a year or six months or, 10 years, I don't know, but they're going to work towards it. And right now, as we speak, um, in the BC courts, Pacific Wild is has a court case challenging the legality of the BC wolf hunt. And they did shut it down before. They had the, sorry, not the hunt, it was the cull and the uh, provincial management program to manage predators. Um, they, they did it last, uh, last, last winter, I think it was, and they're back there arguing again right now as we speak, the 27th to the 29th. So, um, they're a formidable force and we have to take them seriously. Um, it scares me to think that they can get half a million signatures and we're showing up with 50,000, right? No, it, it's extremely scary, but I think a big part of it comes down to, um, you know, even some of the arguments that are out there right now, it's very clear that people are just reading headlines and then getting emotionally provoked by just, just a quick headline. And when we look at it, which side of this story can effectively be told in a headline? With like our side of the story, we as hunters and as conservationists, um, our story it cannot be told in one headline. Um, we have the burden of carrying and, and and portraying the whole story, and we can't do that. So we actually have to we have to come up with a way to to get people's attention and keep people's attention long enough to convey all of this information. And we have to mind our p's and q's because unlike the other side, there are so many people fact-checking everything we say. So we are completely under a microscope and we have to somehow captivate people's attention without lying because that's just going to be more ammo for them. So we have to tell the truth. We don't have, you know, our story cannot be told in one sentence. And I think that's a, that's a big issue for us is we need to be able to captivate people's attention long enough to convey all mm-hmm. this information and if people don't stick around long enough to hear the whole story it's really easy to get pulled the other way because it's just like hey if you don't kill a wolf everything's going to be great and everybody's going to be happy 
Well, but that's not that's not the case. Well, visually, they win with the picture, right? You put on that pretty fluffy wolf on, or a couple of uh, pups on on the TV, and people are automatic or on their computer screen, and they're just sitting there scrolling, and um, and that tells the story right there. Do you want this animal to die, right? Um, you know, and you know, can we do it on the other side? Can we do that? First of all, a caribou is not near as charismatic as a wolf is, right? So even putting a, a picture of a caribou up and saying, "Do you want this animal to die?" right, and then. Um, but then their counter argument is they put a picture up of a wolf and say, well, this animal has to die for that to happen, right? It's a, it's a hard argument to win unless we can have the long conversation like we do here. There, I think there is an opportunity, um, like you mentioned right now, if we do just post care and say, do you want this animal to die? Because I do agree that they're not as charismatic and not as relatable to, you know, a household pet. But I do think there is a lot of nostalgia that's associated with caribou, with reindeer, um, with, with being Canadian and having these majestic animals out there. And the fact that if we don't act soon, this will be something that's not around for generations to come. Um, maybe, maybe there is an opportunity there to help cause some of that, those groups in the middle ground one way or the other, but I, I don't think it's going to be an easy battle either way. Those people will go and click yes to both petitions. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a tough one. And I think it, that's what it boils down to, right? It's it's selective marketing. They're going to show the the picture that suits an agenda. Are they telling the truth that wolves are beautiful? Oh hell yeah! Any any hunter will tell you the same thing. They're some of the coolest animals you'll ever see on the landscape. Are they vicious killers? Yeah. Are they a part of nature that we want to see wiped out? Absolutely. We don't want them wiped out. We want to see them there. And that I think that's the. The, the disconnect is, is it's not hard to go online and see somebody saying smoke a pack a day, kill them all. The only good wolf is a dead wolf. And those are the little screenshots that they're used against us as, as hunter conservationists. We, we, we know there's a place on the landscape for wolves, for grizzly bears, for black bears, for predators in general. We, we don't want to see an extra extirpation or an extinction of a species. We want to see balance. And that's it. Yeah, we want to see a, div- a diverse landscape. Nobody that that truly cares about wildlife or no hunter that deserves the title conservationist would ever agree with the mindset the wolf should be completely removed from the landscape, in my opinion. Um, you know, they are very important. And I think if the wolves were actually backed into a corner where they were being threatened and they were being backed into the corner by another predator, we would be on this podcast right now talking about the fact that we need to balance that fight out by reducing those other predators like we're sitting here saying remove emotion from this decision right now black and white like maybe we need to just remove the titles completely and not talk about caribou versus wolves we're just talking about if side a is going against side b and side b is the one that historically has the hardest time to kind of gain traction in in a region we need to get behind them you know, and don't look at the pictures, don't look at these, you know, the different, you know, the really fancy marketing that each side is doing. And let's just look at the numbers and the statistics and how we're impacting them as a human population, how we are negatively impacting this battle and creating uh, a fight that is completely tilted in one direction. It, like, that's, that's what needs to happen here. Because I guarantee from my personal mindset, and I, I, you know, I will let you guys speak to it. I don't want to speak for you, but if wolves were truly backed into the corner and they came and said, you know what, the grizzly population in BC has somehow got to a level so high that um, 
the wolves are going to be eradicated. Like I would be sitting here going, okay, let's start talking about Grizz. Or if the caribou somehow started eating wolves, <laughs> I would be sitting here saying, let's bring down the caribou number because the wolves don't get caribou's. Right? If, yeah. if the caribou were doing something to the environment and they were thriving so strongly that they were reducing the population of wolves to the point where they were being threatened, I would be sitting here saying, okay, let's talk about doing a caribou call. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's an unbiased position. But people think because caribou are this beautiful animal and hunters like to go after them, that all of a sudden our opinion is is irrelevant because it's completely biased. And I think that's an unfair argument, but a lot of people get blinded and, and you just take that as fact. But um, that's that's why for me, when I was filling out that government survey, it really upset me towards the end where they, they said, um, you know, because every other question, it was like, check multiple boxes. Mm-hmm. If you If you associate yourself with any of these groups, you can check multiple boxes. Then you get to this one and it says, are you, um, you know, do you enjoy skiing? Do you enjoy hiking? Do you enjoy camping? Do you enjoy all, like which one of these groups do you associate with? And one is just hunting and it's, you can only check one. And at that point I was, that was frustrating to me because on every other time when you got those types of questions, you could check multiple boxes. So all of a sudden at that point, we're being forced into this silo. Um, whereas I think like, Every person who hunts has so much more interest in the outdoors than just my ability to go out and harvest an animal. That's, that's an unfair corner, I think, for us to be back into. Yeah, well said, Joe. Um, and yeah, I think that we, we want to see a diverse landscape. We want to see, you know, one of my favorite things when I'm out in, in, in the wild probably my favorite thing to see is a grizzly bear. Um, when I, no matter what I'm hunting, I see a grizzly bear to me that I come home from that trip. It's the most amazing thing, but wolf is right up at the top there as well. I just don't want to see a pack of them taking down every single living thing, or you go out on a hunt where you've hunted for years and there's not a single ungulate on there because there's wolf tracks everywhere. So, um, it's all about the balance. And I, I think you're right. I think, you know, as hunters, we need, you know, we recognize that we're, we're not advocating for, you know, the extirpation of wolves, we just want there to be balance really is the main thing we're mm-hmm. advocating for. Um, so, okay, let's, let's segue. Now you talked about this, Steve, about smoke a pack a day, all this sort of stuff and social license around hunters. And okay. So October 25th, for those of you who are listening that maybe don't know, the union of BC chiefs sent a letter to uh, Katrine Conroy, ministry of Flynn Row, basically saying that they supported rain coast and they were against the wolf call that they wanted the government to cease and desist from uh, managing wolves. Now, interesting enough, the union of BC chiefs doesn't represent the areas where this call is going on. They, they represent, you know, the greater collective, but they don't specifically necessarily um, represent uh, the, that area. And interesting, there are certainly first nations that do support the call. So this is not first nations stance on managing wolves it's a it's a greater stance um from uh, you know from a higher body but one of the things in that letter it says wolf whacking they they actually uh, specifically mention that so these wolf whacking contests and Mm -hmm. we've seen that uh stuff go on uh last year there was some contests um i'm not going to single any groups out or anything but we've seen these so you know, let's talk a little bit about social license. And Joe, you touched on it as hunters, you know, some of the stuff we say and do and is probably not the best if we're looking for support from the non-hunting public that don't understand what we're doing. Yeah, internally, we know 
you know, what we're trying to say. But the problem is, is our words get co-opted and used against us. So let's talk about social license and hunters and, and, and these wolf whacking contests, that sort of thing, and how bad they really are for our reputation. <laughs> Where do we start? That's- yeah, that's a big conversation. How much time do we have here? <laughs> yeah, we. I, I saw that post. I know the one you're talking about where it actually called it a wolf whacking contest, predator whacking contest. And I'm like, holy shit, that is going to be used against us. And here we are a couple of years later, it's being used in official documents against us. Mm-hmm. I, I, let, I get Steve, the emotion. Steve, let me, let me read it just because it, it's so impactful. Sure. And then uh, sorry to cut you off, but I want to, I want to set the context. So it's an October 25th letter. It's from the, the Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs, and it's addressed to Honorable Katrine Conroy, Minister of Forest Lands and Natural Resources. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what it does say is the government's priority should be securing and protecting enough habitat for a viable caribou population, not the senseless slaughtering of wolves that has since opened the floodgates to wolf whacking tournaments that your government turned a blind eye to. The UBCIC wrote to our government on April 8th, sorry, wrote to your government on April 8th, 2019, expressing extreme condemnation and horror at the wolf whacking and predator tournaments tournaments in the interior that has led to the gratuitous and ruthless slaughter of wolves. Uh, So that's what we're up against. Now we've got First Nations, uh, the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, coming out with a letter like that, that's pretty damning, to be honest. When you brought this topic up, you want you mentioned just the importance of, of wording alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's the whole conversation we're getting into right now. And what you just read, I think, depicts that in a huge way, because based on some of the wording in, of what you just said, I, I 100% agree. Like, I am against the senseless slaughter of animals and th- that's the wording they use in there anybody reading that like i am against the senseless slaughter yeah 100 percent. i'm on side with that yep. but that's not what we're talking about right now so they're using this to take our conversation outside of the context of what's supposed to be being discussed right mm-hmm. now is we're not discussing the senseless slaughter they are completely um devaluing like all of the information statistics that have gone into making these decisions that have gone into supporting this, this wolf call. Even if you go on and you look at the predator reduction survey, when it opens up, it specifically states that this is a short term bridge. We need to, you know, mate or control the populations while we get these other initiatives in order. We're not saying this is the end all be all we are using. So it's not a senseless slaughter right there. It's, it's alluding to the fact that there is purpose behind this. So the word senseless should be taken out of that document right away. Um, so like going back to how much weight can be placed on specific words, it's huge. And especially in in modern day society where tweets, Instagram, Facebook posts, everything there, once they're put out there, they're on the internet and they will come back like for years and years and years, like it will never go away. Someone will always dig this information up. Um, and we as hunters need to take on a burden of really monitoring what we're saying, um, I think I talked about it last time, or I know I've discussed it with you guys. It goes back to my days as a, as a pro athlete. And we were trained on the difference between locker room talk and post-game um, interviews. There's a very big difference, and I'll tell you right now, if you've ever watched an NFL game and a post-game interview and that quarterback's up there saying, you know what, we played the best game, my guys put their best effort out there, and, and you know, it was nobody's fault. The other team didn't play well. We beat ourselves. 
if you think that's the conversation that happens in the locker room at halftime or after a game, you are so wrong. Let me tell you the fights, the discussions, everything happens. But we understand as a team to stand a chance throughout the season or in any argument or anything, we need to come together. We need to control our dialogue when we're in the public eye. And that's what shows unity. It shows like a unified front and it makes no member of that group feel pushed to the side. And and we are able to then put together a good, strong, unified front. And people are like, okay, yeah, you know what? This team's got a good locker room. They do have a chance and you'll, you'll get behind that team. Us as hunters, we have the burden of, of properly communicating what's going on. We need to check each other. If somebody's like your buddy wants to post something and say something like wolf whacking, whatever it is, um, you know, in a moment after somebody takes a wolf or does something, you might feel really excited because, hey, you might be doing it for all the right reasons, but what you're doing could be completely devalidated or invalidated, I should say, by one word in your post, by one word in a text, by one word in a tweet, and everything else could be great. Your reasoning behind it. You could know that you've been hunting an area for 15, 20 years, and in the recent, you know, five, 10 years, you've seen a decline of the ungulates, but a huge surge in the the wolf population. So when you finally take a wolf out of there, you're so frustrated and mad at that wolf because of everything it's done. If you post and you don't somehow build those previous 15 years of frustration into that post, and you just quickly throw up, you know, oh, wolf whacking, successful wolf whacking, guess what? Nobody else out there knows what you did. And it, it, it portrays us in a very, very negative light. Exactly. Sorry for being so long. No, that's, that's perfect. Like I, I just did a quick search of it here and it says a petition to end hunting contests in Canada has gained more than 60,000 signatures after being posted online four weeks ago. So in four weeks, they were able to rally more than we could in three months just because of the phrasing. Well, yeah, look at look at how sexy you can make one headline versus another headline. And we're like human population, we're a bunch of goldfish nowadays. We're so used to immediate information. You can gain the information from looking at a picture. You can gain the information from reading one sentence. Only one side of this argument can be told in one image or one sentence. So what do you say to you know, are, are the guys in our guys and girls in our community that forever have posted grip and grins or they've taken grip and grins and they've shared it and whatever. And, and, you know, we can sort of get away now with tasteful grip and grins and telling the story. And there's some people that do a fantastic job. You guys are two examples that do a great job, but for those people that have the tongue hanging out, they got blood and all this stuff. And, and their argument is, Hey, I'm a hunter. I have a right to do that. What's our counter argument for that? And, and how do we, you know, hunters, I know some hunters feel they have a right to do that. They're like, no, it's my right. I'm a hunter and I can do whatever I want. Um, what's, what's our counter argument to that? And I, I'm on side with you guys, but what's our counter argument mm-hmm. to, to those people? Sit back and look what's going on right now because of posts and pictures like that. The reason we're, we're fighting and we're talking about uh, a wolf whacking contest is because of a post exactly like that. Here we are a couple of years later, still circling. We're, we're defending lawful and ethical and science-based management because of emotionally charged wording and emotionally charged pictures. As Joe said, would, would they ever 
stick around and, and throw out a picture of an ungulate getting chased into a river. No, that doesn't sell. It goes against their, their narrative. And it, we, we need to play their game, right? And, and stop stop being our own worst enemies. I know there's a lot of hunters out there that absolutely hate that it's hunters against hunters and they, they hate the phrasing, but that's exactly what it is. When you've got a hunter here and a hunter there, we all want the same thing. We, we, we want sustainable wildlife management. We need to come on, on onto the same path to get there and realize what we're doing is going to stick around forever. It's it once it's online, as they say, it's, it's never going away. So just, just think about what you're posting. Take five seconds and tuck that tongue back in. Take 10 seconds to wipe a little bit of blood off. If there's a, if, if there's a hole that's a little bit, a little too gory, think about where you're going to be posting that. Show it to your buddies and talk about how that animal dropped in its tracks and it was a quick, clean death. Don't talk about how you had to chase it for two and a half kilometers and put five or six more shots into it. Just be very, very careful because we all, we all, we all struggle or we all strive to, to give a, a quick and honorable death to that animal. Treat the animal the way uh, it deserves to be treated uh, as, as a freezer filler, right? And, and something that gives life so you can continue yours. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great, uh, Steve, you had some really good points in there. And Kyle, I think it's a great question that, um, I don't think there's a simple answer to it. I think that is a question that we need to, you know, us as hunters, we, we really need to take a deep dive and look inward and come up with the best like answers to that question. I'm, I don't feel that I'm in a position where I can speak a hundred percent and say, this is what needs to be done because I'm sure I myself make a lot of mistakes in my posts from time to time. Um, I've had people reach out and let me know somehow I've offended them. And I will, I will try and have a conversation with them and let them know I you know, appreciate the fact that, that they came to me rather than just condemning me right away. Um, but, you know, our posts sometimes, hunting is a very real, raw, and in-your-face activity. It's a very, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's an unbashful way of getting your food. It's, it's, it's what happens. And there are some very tough things that go on that a lot of people don't like to see. So we as hunters, we do have the burden, again, of, of reading the room, understanding who your audience is and who you're handing ammunition and information to. If you are the type of person that absolutely needs to post the gory stuff, use the wrong phrases, do everything, make your profile private and only let your buddies on it or have a WhatsApp group that you can send information to your buddies. Um, but, you know, just throwing it out there and rubbing everybody's noses in it isn't always the right approach. Um, is it something that used to be able to be done? Sure. But guess what? Before social media, hunters could say and do whatever they wanted, but that's because most of the conversations were happening in somebody's shop. Um, it was never done on such a widely accessible platform as it is now, even in the hunting shows, most stuff was portrayed in a very tasteful way. Now all of a sudden everybody has access to huge audiences and a lot of people just aren't, you know, putting enough weight on it and understanding that they do have that impact and and this 0.001% of our community can be painted in a light where they're made to represent our entire population of hunters um which is which is not true because the majority of people do go out of their way to try and present hunting in a positive light talk about the ethicality of it talking about the full serve the full process and everything that does go into it but again it goes back to one word in one post that can mm -hmm. completely ruin everything. 
Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a very good question. It's one that I think everybody needs to ask themselves before they post, but, um, you know, it's frustrating that we do have to consider that and that people won't, the other side of it won't take a second, put themselves in our shoes and try and give us the benefit of the doubt. They want to automatically attack us. So it's frustrating. We're put into that situation, but we need to understand that we are in that situation. Yeah. Well said, Joe. Okay. I think we've banged that on the head a bit. Um, but I, what I'd like to do is just circle back to the importance now of this survey. So um, we know the government is driven by these surveys. They've cited that with the grizzly bear. Um, we do see this call. It's been a five-year call. They started in 15. They did five years. And my understanding from what I've read, it's another five-year renewal. So they've, they've gone through the five-year cycle. We've seen positive stats um, that are uh, show that the, the call has been effective, that we've seen increase in caribou numbers. Um, we don't dis, um, we don't argue that uh, the habitat piece is even more in, impactful and that we should be doing that. But aside from that, um, the short-term solution is predator management. Um, so this engagement survey is ongoing. Um, guys, I want to give your give your best argument of why people need to get out there and fill out that survey. I want to I want to hear a plea from the both of you. <laughs> Have you seen the size of Joe? If you don't, we're sending him out. <laughs> Basically, we for for me, if if you want to continue to hunt five ten years down the road, if you want your grandkids to continue to hunt, we need to be proactive now. We saw it four short years ago with the grizzly hunt. They put it out to public engagement. They said, hey, give us your opinion on if you think the grizzly hunt should continue, and it is gone. We've seen them take uh, one mule deer away for a bag limit for a year. It's gone. That ain't coming back. We're watching them try to put in LEH for sheep in the Kootenays. We know if that goes through, it's gone. They need to start managing without uh, effect pulling the hunting regulation lever to be to be blunt right stop managing hunters manage habitat manage predators and you guys need to get out there and, and engage we're gonna lose it sure now you hand the mic to me you make your <laughs> everything and then okay joe you carry on like thanks um on this is my like end um Kyle, based on what you just said, the, the initial call was was put in place for 15 years. Right now, it's not like we're asking for another 15 years. We're not asking for this to be an indefinite, um, you know, call put in place. We're talking about another five years to extend to give these other um, initiatives time to take root. I when I you get that one section in the survey where you get to put these eight things in place and talk about what you think is most important. I talked about um, the the fact that obviously their environment, like their why am I drawing a blank right now on the word, but um, recreating their environment is far more important than the call, but the call is an, an essential piece to this puzzle. And when it comes down to it, it the, the one line that I put even in the little bracket at the end where it says any additional comments, I just put in there, the reason we need this right now and the reason people need to get involved is because our caribou are more important than people's feelings. And that's it. Nice. Nice. So, um, we need to remove the faces and the marketing images from these drives and just talk about species A and species B and present the statistics and tell the story that way. Maybe people will understand at that point. 
Well said, Joe. So back to act now, science-based wildlife management. Use it, be data-driven, use the information. What's the best for the landscape? You know, we want a diverse landscape. We don't want millions of wolves roaming and no ungulates. We want very diverse species on the landscape. And this is a solution. And the interesting thing is, is the government's giving us a chance to speak. So, you know, we always complain the government this, the government that. Well, this is our one chance where we can actually voice our opinion and stand up for what we believe in. And they're going to use this data. They're going to, you know, and do they follow it exactly? I don't know. Maybe there's something else that, you know, they're using as well. But we do know they cited the grizzly bear. So, you know, there, there is a, a case to be made that they're going to use this data either for or against us. So, you know, we, you know, we need to get out and do our part as hunter conservationists and make sure that our voice is heard. So I, I think we, you know, we can't reiterate enough. If you take mm-hmm. nothing away from this podcast, uh, you need to go out and do your part in this engagement survey, which is in the show notes. So. And, and uh, just to add to that a little bit, of the 50,000 people that were involved in our Act Now campaign, a lot of people were talking about the fact they were frustrated because they were getting a canned response to their emails that they sent in um, from the government officials saying, I don't feel like I'm actually getting through. The government has offered us a direct line of communication here. Whether or not they will completely look at it in its entirety, we can't say. But right now, we are being offered a direct line of communication. So for at, at least those 50,000 people that got involved in the Act Now campaign, here is a chance to go in and we have that direct line of communication. Let's take advantage of it. Well said, uh, well said, Joe. Uh, gents, I, we've taken enough of your time for today. Um, I think we've done a pretty good job of providing some background of where we're at and why we're there, what we need to do if, you know, if we feel strongly about this and, and about our future and about managing species in British Columbia. Um, so with that, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up here. I want to wish you guys a, a fantastic fall. Um, I hope to, uh, to see some pretty cool, uh, hunts on TV this year for, uh, from you, Joe, I'm pretty excited about that. And, uh, Wish you guys, uh, well, Joe, wish you a great fall and really appreciate uh, from the society just everything that you do, uh, not just for the society, just for our community, the, the stories you tell, the way you tell them, uh, just really grateful for it and appreciate that you taking the time to talk to us again today. Thank you, Kyle. And Kyle and Steve, I really appreciate you know your kind words and just the support from your end and just honestly, you guys offering me the ability to get active with a group that does so much. Um, for us hunters as a community, um, to be perfectly honest, like I'm just honored to be a part of what you guys do on any level. So anytime you have an opportunity, reach out. I can't promise that I'll always be available, but if I am available, I am more than happy to get involved. Um, you know, uh, you guys do a lot of amazing work um, that enables us, that, that speaks for our passions and most people aren't in a position to do as much as you guys do. And I know that both of you are extremely individual on a daily basis and you put so much time into this. Uh, for most of our listeners, they probably don't understand how much time and effort you guys are constantly investing. Um, so just on my behalf and all of our listeners' behalf, thank you guys so much for putting in your time and giving so much back selflessly. Very cool, Joe. Appreciate it. And uh, awesome. Thanks again for coming on the show.